0: You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. If you're listening for the first time, my name is Rob Fonte. I'm a leadership development consultant and coach with more than 20 years experience in leading teams. For more information about me or how you can subscribe to the show, please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com. Now, enough about me. Today's guest is Tracy DeSilva, who is the Vice President of Learning and Development and comes to us from the healthcare industry. Tracy's leadership experience includes holding positions as a national sales director district sales manager, and at one time, a human resources business partner. Tracy, welcome to the Jam Session.
1: Hey Rob, good to be with you.
0: Are you ready to jam? Let's do this. Let's start with your leadership journey. Let's actually go back. Let's go back to the beginning and let's talk about the first team you ever took over. And as you think through it, what do you wish you knew then that you know now?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think that transition from individual contributor, right, or leader of self to leader of others is so challenging. And once you've gone through it, and you look back on it, the perspective um, is really rich. For me, in the most simplistic terms, I wish I had understood the difference between doing the work for others versus being a coach, providing you know guidance and feedback, and then letting them find success.
0: So, what did that look like when you were doing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. So I was um, in my first line leader role for the very first time and i had moved directly from a individual contributor role that certainly had taken advantage of leadership coursework in and around um, the industry and we were off to a great start um, by all all my metrics we were performing well it was a sales um, leadership role we were performing well against the goals of the quarter and the year and probably several months in um, i started to notice that when i would send emails out about a specific way to do something relative to some data we had received or a marketing objective, I started to get a little bit of, you know, sort of chafing. Members of the team, mostly the more tenured ones, would email me back and say, well, I've always done this or I've had success with this approach. And at first, I sort of just let it roll past me and kept on my path of delivering my direction. Until one day in a one-on-one with my then leader, I shared that I was sensing there was this, you know, a little bit of chafing from... You know, one or two members of the team. And I suspect he might have heard some of that too, but handled it very, very respectfully and probably somewhat gently, given I was new to the role. And he said something simplistic, but so profound. And he said, You know, Tracy, your way is not the only way. Now, that doesn't sound like it should be a lightning bolt in anybody's life, but it was for me because, you know, Rob, up until that time, I had received significant reward and recognition based on the tactical success of an individual contributor. And as I said, when you first asked me the question, when you transition to leader, that's no longer the measurement for you. It's making sure that others are successful. And so that's really what I wish I knew, that there's a difference between doing the job and and providing the successful environment for others to do it well.
0: Let's be honest, that's the hardest transition that any anybody can make, going from that individual contributor to now seeing the world through the lens of a leader, right? And how everyone does things a little bit different than, than you would, and it's hard. I mean, that's really hard to make that transition. Yeah. Fortunately, you had a, a boss who was able to give you some, some coaching. And there's a lot of new managers out there that never get that coaching. And in your case, you actually were sensing some of that anyway. Just curious what that looked like with your team. Did you address it? or?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's funny because there was one member of that team that I knew uh, was – you're very comfortable being outspoken. He had a great sense of humor, was sort of the heart and humor of the team. And I thought, you know, if anyone's going to shoot straight with me, it's going to be him. So, uh, in very soon order, I was working with him closely on a couple of days in the on a field ride. And I just said to him, you know, what what's the team temperature right now? What you know, how am I doing? Give me a report card. Give me a grade. And you know, he said some very nice things. Said that I'd come on board and and listened and and thought to get to know folks and connect um, and then he said pretty quickly he said but uh you know you're also trying to do our jobs for us <laughs> and i said so what does that look like for you what does that feel like he said well you know the emails uh, when the sales reports come in at the granular level of what to do with a specific physician and he said you know tracy you'd be well served to recognize the tenure on your team to leverage each one of us to make each other better and share successes and challenges
0: how, how did you react to that.
1: I think, well, I think I somehow made the wise choice to know which person on the team to ask first. Okay. Right. He is someone with whom I connected quickly. He has a very sort of high energy, openness, relatability to him. And I knew he actually had aspirations to be a leader as well, which he has grown into being uh, by this point in his career. So I thought he would just shoot straight with me. And I am a fairly direct person in terms of, you know, personality style, communication style. So I took it to mean that he really wanted me to be a successful leader and that we had greatness amongst us. Um, and I just had to be the architect of that greatness. I didn't have to be the bricklayer anymore.
0: I think that's an important takeaway is you have to ask the right person on the team. I mean, eventually, you know, I think we all worked towards asking all, all the people on the team. But I think in that initial first step, I think that is a really good strategy, right? To figure out which is the right person on the team that's going to give you that that objective and fair feedback. Let's just fast forward a little bit. And I appreciate you sharing that story. Uh, so now you're in a, a role where you are a second line leader and you have managers reporting into you. And I'm curious, I know we were talking about this the other day, you were sharing a little bit about one of the, the missteps you had when you first moved in, into that role. I wonder if you can share that that with us, because I think, you know, so much we can learn just by sharing some of the, the missteps we take.
1: So there's a difference between being a first-line leader and a second-line leader. And again, I didn't really have anybody to explain that to me. I certainly observed it. You were one of those people that I observed over the years do the role, but you don't really know it. Um, unless someone's actually, you know, kind of told you all the ins and outs or until you get into it. In my case, I stepped into a second line leader role brand new to an organization. And we had an incredible amount of pressure and spotlight on us because we were gonna build a team and launch a drug all in six months. Good news of the story is we did do that. And I was fortunate to have really strong first line leaders join my team. But what ended up happening is not dissimilar to the sort of stumble I made Early in my leadership career, I, I made another one as a second line leader. And this is the scenario we had to make an incentive compensation decision. Right? We were in a launch year with zero history in the marketplace and certainly zero history for a product we were just launching. My leader came to me and said, OK, here are the options on the table. What do you want to do? And we had a really robust conversation. Um, but believe it or not, this might astound you. We made a decision by the end of that singular conversation. And then probably in my eagerness to impress him with my decision-making skills and my willingness to communicate said decision, I put a call on the calendar for the next day with him and my leaders, and we announced the decision was made. And uh, Rob, you could have heard a pin drop in the silence. It went over like a lead balloon. And believe it or not, I couldn't figure out why. Because what what had actually happened is I had been given all the information I'd been given and made the best decision I thought possible through the lens of those first-line leaders. Again, I was doing their job, versus coming to them, which I now know with perspective, and saying, team, we've got a couple options on the table given the historic nature of this launch, uh, and these are the options, what are your thoughts? I didn't do that step. So what I sacrificed in communicating the decision was any level of understanding and certainly any level of buy-in that I needed for my leadership team to communicate now to their direct reports.
0: In the sales world, when you look at an incentive compensation plan, that is a hot topic. If there's something that you want to make sure that you cross your T's and dot your I's, that, that'd be the one. But at the same time, you know, a lot of times that decision really is held within just a few people. It's a very difficult balance to walk. Did you get a sense right after that call, or how did you address it with your team? Or <gasps> <laughs> and, and yeah, well, So the so the other caveat, just what so we understand, is So you're building a a team and a lot of these managers you hire, but they're new to you. Is is that correct? Okay.
1: Correct. (laughs) For the most part, they were new to me, hadn't known me, but eight months earlier than this dialogue around incentive comp that we had to make at the end of a year. So I think they say that trust or credibility, right, is gained in drops and and lost, right? (laughs) (laughs) In buckets. I certainly think I dealt a blow. Uh, it's one of those decisions that that to this day still haunts me a little bit as kind of that memory that left the bruise, because I would never do that again knowing what I know now. But I, I will say that for several of them, I think I had certainly established enough trust that they picked up the phone pretty quickly and gave me feedback. And they gave me feedback within the context of what happened when they told their teams the following day, right? This is a very fast sequence of events. Right, decision made on day one between my, my leader and I, decision communicated to my leadership team on day two. And then from them to their direct reports on day three. So not a lot of time for reflection and, and, uh, and perspective. So after they communicated to their teams on day three is when I really started to get the feedback and it was strong, you know, to the point of people said, wow, we didn't, we didn't come here for this kind of experience.
0: Wow. Yeah. That must've been hard to hear.
1: Yeah, it was. I actually had one or two people, you know, eventually when they left the organization months later, bring that up as an issue that had sort of stuck with them. And it was pivotal learning and understanding for me about inclusion when you can. There was nothing, by the way, preventing me from sharing the details around those options. I just thought I was you know, doing the work again. I, I could just make the decision for
0: them. First of all, I appreciate your your vulnerability and, and sharing that story. Because for those of us out there that are planning to either move into that second line leadership role or have aspirations to do so, there are nuances. This was hard for me when I moved into that role. Uh, Obviously, the basics still apply, but there are some nuances that are a little bit different. But this is one of them. And I am curious because from what I'm hearing, it's not like like you had to make the decision or you were trying to micromanage it share a little bit of of where it was coming from like the thought process of of that decision
1: yeah it really in my mind was a positive intent right if you think of you know decisions in terms of intent versus impact my intent was positive i thought that i was by the way i chose the best option on the table something i had to tell the team later repeatedly so i could rebuild some trust back <laughs>
0: By the way, <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: By the way,
0: even right. though you don't
1: know all of it, I chose the best one. I, I think it's it is. It's very nuanced at that level because certainly at the second line leader level and beyond, leadership is much more about influence um, than anything else. You can certainly demand people do something as their leader. But what you get is sort of an immediate reaction, not something that's sustainable and certainly nothing that drives engagement, as I learned, sadly. But if you use influence and you include people in dialogue and decision-making, then what you end up with is, even if people have a hard time understanding the decision down the road, what you end up with, though, is a more enduring cultural win around inclusion uh, and trust and confidence. So it's that Nuance—it's that ability to to step away from controlling the outcome by demanding it, and more so looking to provide communication, influence, and and lay out what options are there and what the impact of each option will be.
0: So I'm curious because you said it was positive intent. So what held you back from reviewing the options with them?
1: Nothing. Speed. Speed. speed Nothing okay. other than speed. I I knew that we had to make a decision um, within a few days and. I just went to it. And you know, one, one of my favorite sayings now is, um, what can I do less of, yet spend more time thinking about? It sounds counterintuitive, but at a certain point in your leadership journey, you really should be doing less and thinking more so that you can make you know strategic choices. And then for critical decisions, you're including the people at the table who should really help cover your blind spot and help you talk through that decision. So nobody said to me at any point in time, you can't talk to your leadership team. I just put my head down and started running.
0: That's so well said because, you know, you kind of reminded me, I fell into similar traps and it is, it's all positive intent. And there are times where I would sit back and think of my managers and all that's on their plates and think through, all right, this is one that I'll just make a decision because I don't want to have to put another call. They're swamped with calls. So I'm in my mind, I'm doing them a favor. And in reality that's come back to bite me quite a few times because they would have preferred to be included in in the conversation. It wasn't that I was trying to exclude them, it was, I'm thinking, I'm doing them a favor.
1: When we do that, we unintentionally hinder their ability to lead because all they become then is your mouthpiece. All they become is, hey, Tracy made this decision, hey, Rob made this decision, you need to execute. And it robs them of the ability to own the decision um, and communicate it in a way that's authentic for them
0: kudos to you because it sounds like you have that that relationship and that trust built with your team where they were able to just come forward and, and talk to you about it and give you some feedback and then sounds like you adjusted right on the fly you go back to the to the first story you shared about when you were a frontline leader and similar right some similar s- scenarios there and I, I do want to just highlight how again just because you move into a, a higher level, position doesn't mean that you're not going to come across some of the same some of the same missteps some of the same stumbles you're making as a frontline leader so it's easy to fall into that trap
1: i think it requires right looking inward and reflecting Um, and for me i think my personality is that of sort of driver doer accomplish end result solution focus and that can blur the lens that should be on team collaboration and conversation and communication. You need both, right? Organizations need us to achieve our goals, but we also need to engage our people while we do it. So we have to manage the work, but, but lead the people. And that's really the, the ultimate lesson I've learned from those kinds of experiences. It's hard. I've taken up the habit recently and I talk to to folks around me all the time about stopping to write down things, whether you call that journaling, note-taking. I don't mean things that are being said in a meeting. I actually, I mean thoughts and reactions to things and then forcing yourself to take time. I was fortunate until um, quarantine began that I was on a plane every week going somewhere and returning um, home from somewhere. And I used that time to look through my journal. I would, I would sit on the plane and look through it. I'd look back at a week before or two weeks before about a, a sentiment I had captured with regards to a conversation or a feeling I'd had about something going on in my team. And it's fascinating, right? Because those feelings change with time. Those perspectives grow with time. And unless you sort of commit yourself to the discipline of giving yourself time to think, then you are probably destined to continue to make the same, you know, kinds of errors that are probably natural to your personality type.
0: So do you spend time, you know, each week, just kind of jotting down different ideas, different thoughts, and then reflecting on it? Yeah, I do. And has I that do. helped you with your decision making or? It has. It It,
1: it is probably one of the Better muscles and activities I've created. I mean, COVID, you know, the quarantine has certainly helped me to to strengthen the muscle because I have a little bit more time not running through airport security lines right now. Right. But I have really been mindful. There's an intentionality to that, that um, I, I can feel it pervading everything I do, whether I'm having a call with someone who is in a tactical role on my team and I'm preparing for that by thinking and looking back at notes around the project that may be weeks old. And bringing them back to ground them in the objectives of the project, or if I've actually just captured a way I felt about something that was said or a way I reacted to something as a way of sort of self-reflection to slow down my thought processes and my decision-making skills.
0: I think that's a great technique. I heard of, of leaders doing that and uh, glad to hear you kind of talk through it because I can hear how it's an advantage and how it's benefited you. I do have another question for you, which I think you answered. And this, this is coming from some of the talking points you gave me in the intro, which I didn't mention in the intro because I wanted to ask you about it. And, and some of the talking points you wrote were that you are a lifelong learner, and you also stated that you are a recovering perfectionist. Now, I, I get the lifelong uh, student in you. I can hear that uh, in, in how you're sharing your stories. However, the recovering perfectionist, perhaps, I think I know where you're going with this, with some of the things that you mentioned before, but perhaps you can elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, certainly in the leadership um, journey, you know, I've been on, uh, I have noticed that, you know, perfection is the thief of excellence for me, that I am uh, I'm often running so, um, so quickly and in such hot pursuit of the perfect outcome that I speed right past the excellent outcome. And excellence is a very good outcome to have for an organization. But when you pursue perfection, you sort of have blinders on. You you won't allow yourself um, consciously to, to consider a lot of the other things that could make the decision excellent, but bring people into it, right? Or consider it from a different angle that benefits the organization. Um, Yeah, perfectionism is something I've been working on for years. I I got feedback probably, I don't know, five years ago on that, and it stunned me. I, I remember hearing it for the first time that I was perceived this way as a perfectionist, and I thought, how is that possible? I'm the furthest thing from that. But as I dug more into the feedback, and by the way, feedback in my personal life started to to have a similar theme, (laughs) I thought, boy, I'm projecting something that people are picking up. And the problem with that is if you project that as a leader, it's a barrier to people telling you what you need to hear in feedback. It's a true barrier. It's one of the reasons why I'm very conscious about the way I ask for feedback. You know, depending on the audience I'm asking, uh, I'll use casual phrases like, hey, got my big girl pants on today, go ahead and, you know, a, a, and give it to me. Right. Or, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody, maybe more of a peer, I'll say, hey, you know, if we were to leave this meeting, um, and you walked out the door and said, boy, the one thing I wish I'd said to Tracy is X. Can you say that now? Um, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. And uh, I know that if you think you have all the answers and you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room, so change rooms. Um, But the, the willingness for me to take the feedback that the perception was that I was a perfectionist, even though it didn't seem to resonate with me as a reality, I had to accept that that was the reality for people who were interacting with me, even if I wasn't consciously projecting that. And um, again, my leadership, and, and you said the word vulnerable earlier on, my leadership has become profoundly more vulnerable um, because I'm willing to actually say, hey, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't know all the answers and I need your help. Asking for help is huge in leadership.
0: So many people are afraid of it because they, they think it's a sign of weakness when, in fact, uh, the leaders that do show vulnerability are the most confident ones of them all because they can do that. They understand the value it's going to bring to them. And uh, I love the quote, perfectionist is a thief of excellence. I think that's profound. And I think that's fantastic. I'll come back to some of the things that you were stating, how you're a driver, how you speed through things and the way you're wired. You are uh, a driver. And it's, to me, uh, a strength overused at times becomes a perceived weakness. And it's perceived because the other person might just think very different uh, and for yourself, it's just this is natural, right? I mean, I'm striving to make sure uh, everything is is as perfect as it can be.
1: In the leadership role I'm in now, Rob, I have a set of direct reports who are the complete opposite of me in terms of profiles, right? Whether you want to call them behavioral styles or whatever, but they are literally on the uh, the 180 degree um, turn away from me it's been a gift and what i did early on when i stepped into leading the team and recognized what their personality and behavioral styles were is i reached out to someone of the same style who's been in my professional peer set for for a long time and whom i respect and trust and i actually asked him to go to dinner with me and he didn't know that he was going to have to give some free counseling when he got to dinner <laughs> but we got to dinner and i said hey you know you're this uh, behavioral style and now all of my direct reports are of the same style and it's the complete opposite of me you know what do i do he said two things one i was probably getting to this realization over time because of the experiences i shared with you earlier but one he said was stop running so fast you don't see the cliff edge in front of you and the other one was take these people out to dinner coffee whatever works one on one and get to know them now that may seem simplistic to to our listeners but for me it actually was a little more profound than that because my personality my behavioral style would have been hey i came in we did the kickoff meeting shared my vision addressed them as a group and empowered them and off we go and there i was again right running fast and i and i wanted this time not to hit the cliff edge like i had before and so I did that one-on-one lunches or dinners or coffees with my direct reports, and um, it does make a difference. There is a level of connection that I was probably never going to get treating them as a collective group.
0: And again, kudos to you for reaching out to a, a, another peer of the same style and asking for advice. And I think that's an important takeaway for everyone who's, who's listening in that uh, that is a sign of, of maturity right? Of, of, a, of a very seasoned leader, knowing that they have to go out and, and get some guidance.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, if you go back to the perfectionist issue, for me, I was determined this time not to think I had the perfect answer for this team, not to think that I was going to be able to step in and be the perfect leader or provide for them the perfect environment. And we talk all the time on my team about debate me, um, what am I not seeing? What's in my blind spot? How would you experience this exact same scenario given your different personality or behavioral style than I am? So I'm always trying now, right? Years and years of learning. <laughs> couple of bruises that might be lifelong bruises, but I'm always trying to stay conscious of asking for input and help and guidance so that I don't let those perfectionist tendencies overtake me again and, and just keep running towards perfection and go and blow
0: right past excellence. There's a lot of leaders who suffer from the same approach, right? I mean, they're perfectionists. They want to do well. They want their teams to do well. It's all positive intent. And it's very difficult to let go of some of that that control or to even show some some vulnerability so if there is one thing that you can share that could make a dramatic difference just one thing what would that one thing be that people can start working on
1: I think just to embrace the concept that failure today is preparing you for success tomorrow right that that you shouldn't let whether it's the pursuit of perfection or or that feeling of control, um, or the ability, because you have positional power to command somebody to do something, shouldn't give you the false security that 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 failure isn't going to happen, because it will. And when you start to see failure as part of the process around success, then you're not trying to avoid it all the time.
0: I appreciate you kind of sharing your your stories related to that. And I think there were some great key takeaways as we talked through that, Uh, just to kind of, summarize a little bit around that. Some of the things that, that really just came to mind are thinking more and doing less. Uh, love the, the, the whole mindset around perfectionist is the thief of, of excellence. And and I appreciate you sharing also uh, how you are uh, reflecting, taking notes and journaling some of the conversations that'll, that seem to have helped you along the way as well.
1: Yeah, those insights over time start to crystallize your beliefs around leadership right, your sort of fundamental leadership philosophy crystallize when you look back at those experiences, those thoughts, those feelings, um, and you really hold yourself accountable for the way you might have been reacting emotionally versus thinking, you know, logically or even strategically about something.
0: And the other thing too, just, just to highlight is the environment you created, which allows your employees to give you feedback right? That that they're able to come to you and and you're open to it. And even your ability to reach out to others, just to some peers and just to bounce some ideas off them. I always say how, you know, the biggest resource managers have is each other.
1: You know, if you go all the way back to that very first experience we talked about when I was a first line manager, you don't know that. When you step into that role, you know, there's a fire hose that's put in your mouth
0: (laughs) Right. Yes.
1: and you are trying to juggle 63 plates in the air any given day. And uh, you don't know that there's forget light at the end of the tunnel there's light right beside you but you just got to reach out to it i remember a few months into my first line leadership role i i went to a meeting a leaders meeting and i bumped into a very tenured manager on our team and he he pulled me aside in the hallway and he said boy he goes yeah, you got these big dark circles under your eyes what's going on are you okay and i said i'm exhausted when is it going to stop when are these people going to stop calling me <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
1: when's the work going to slow down? And you, know, you and I can both giggle because we know the answer is never.
0: Uh, right, exactly.
1: <laughs> but he gave me again, profound advice, which if, if I had known to reach out earlier, I would have had earlier. Um, and the advice was apply the three-day rule where the three-day rule applies. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, that's basically prioritization. The things that are most immediately going to impact the people who report to you, come first. Things that are within the larger lens of the business and our dialogue around strategy and implementation, well, you may not have to make that phone call today or send that email tomorrow. And it was really probably the beginnings of what I wouldn't know for many years of that slow down, take a breath, think more, do less. And when you're thinking, you know, reflect, reflect on that perspective capture it if if you're a note taker like i am but i I remember that now i always say that to new leaders who step in i actually just was had the great fortune of promoting somebody um, on my team into um, a new leadership role and i said to him right at the bat i don't expect from you the things that your peers on the leadership team are doing and he said well what do you mean i i you know i'm so excited to get this opportunity and i and i want to do really well and i want to make you proud and that's all code rob for perfectionism and i recognize it now because i used to say all those same phrases and i said no no no! you made me proud by securing the role you're in it now i just want you to take a breath we'll talk about priorities get to know your team and each time we have a one-on-one which will be weekly for the first couple months and then we'll space them out after that we'll we'll take on one new topic to discuss and then you'll have a week or so to think on it journal on it if that works for you reflect on it and Let's talk about it again when we come back and then add the new topic on. I wish I had known to reach out for that kind of help, right? Season leaders like yourself who were around me back in those days. Um, I would say that to anybody stepping into a new leader role, reach out reach out, and ask for insights and perspective.
0: Yeah, it's so true. It really is. I mean, and there's leaders out there, your peers are more than willing to help. More than willing to share, and it's so great you're sharing your story about the, the new leader you promoted within you. And I'm sure that person, as soon as you said that and had that discussion, they probably just felt like a huge relief to some extent, uh, even though they still won't get it until like years later. But that's great to even you know have that dialogue. So, last question for you, as as we're winding down, I know you're an avid reader. What's one leadership book that you can recommend? Oh, oh
1: yes, I love to read. I love to. Um uh list of podcasts ted talks so i'll answer the book question first so thematically my favorite leadership authors are patrick lencioni and Brené brown so probably the foundation of my leadership philosophy come from you know books like five dysfunctions of a team and, and dare to lead but i'll tell you that i recently about a year ago i picked up a book called imagine it forward by beth comstock and I picked it up at a, you know, at a time where I stepped into this new role. I now lead at an enterprise level, and I also stepped into the role at a time where our organization, our leadership, um, kept talking about, you know, we've got to evolve and innovate and change. And I thought, okay, this is definitely going to be new leadership competencies for me. Um, how how do I learn? To do that and i found this book um, written by beth comstock who ended up being um, the first um, corporate president in ge's history but she basically led uh, you know entire functions in ge through innovation and change she was the one who through her book talked a lot about understanding failures product, part of success and it was a lightning bolt to me because to me they were two completely separate experiences And she talks a lot about when you're innovating and when you're driving the pace of change, you should expect to fail. You should prepare for that and celebrate it. Publicly note that you did it, not not secretly, and and don't whisper it. um, Publicly state, hey, we tried this, we didn't succeed, but here's what we learn, And we're going to take those learnings to build success, doing it differently. So Imagine It Forward by Beth Comstock is a great book for leaders who um, might be at a point in their journey where they're really having to lead change and, and innovation. And a quick shout out, if I can do a podcast shout out or a TED Talk, Reed Hastings, who leads Netflix. And that you know, the Netflix story from the very beginning when they tried to get bought by Blockbuster and what has happened over the ensuing decade is fascinating. But he's got a very... Um, fresh and unique take on leadership as well, specifically when it comes to transparency um, and clarity for for teams. And so shout out there for the folks at TED Talks who got Reed Hastings um, to do a, a TED Talk. But I, I highly recommend that you listen to it from the perspective of how you can empower people by trusting them with information so that they understand what the organization is doing.
0: I'm not familiar with that one, but uh, we'll put both links. The book as well as the TED Talk uh, in the show notes. So that way anyone who's interested can easily check it out. Well, Tracy, I want to just thank you for coming in. I sincerely appreciate, first, your willingness to be vulnerable and share some of your stories. I think they were fascinating and really do appreciate you sharing all of your insights and some of your best practices that I have no doubt others will certainly take a lot of value from it.
1: Yeah, Rob, thanks for the opportunity. You be well.
0: Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're interested in learning more about the show or how we can assist you through my leadership consulting company, then please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com.